Amen. You can be seated. Uh, this morning, we just we have a, uh, just, uh, an announcement, kind of a sad, kind of a bittersweet announcement. Um, a little bit we just wanted to tell you about a, a little bit, but first of all, um, this is Marcus and Emma, um, and uh, woo, yes, uh, I got some fans here. Um, so, Emma, you've been on staff since uh, like 2014, right? Early 2014, and so you've been on st- staff for for that amount of time. Um, and uh, and how how old were you when you when you came on staff to lead uh, our children's area? Seventeen. Seventeen, <laughs> and uh, and we had yeah, we talked last night. Was it sixty kids about that time? About yeah, we had thirty kids per service. Thirty. Some of those were transferred for post service. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 might be a padded number a little bit, but um, so we we had about sixty kids, and so like over the last four years, like you've been here, and so you've overseen. The, uh, the growth that our church has seen from about 60 kids, and we're running uh, about 100 uh, kids these days. And, um, like, I just, I don't, I don't know that you ever, like, uh, quite think about, like, how unusual it is that a 17-year-old came on staff and did, like, such an amazing job. Like, we, uh, we have seen that, and I, and I hope that you've felt that over the years, that we are so appreciative of that. The truth is our church couldn't really afford anybody else, <laughs> and so um, that's the benefit of hiring 17-year-olds. Uh, <laughs> we did pay you at least minimum wage, I think. I'm pretty sure you worked beyond what you were expected to do, and so I don't know what that worked out to per hour, but um, man, you, you've been an incredible uh, servant, and so I'm incredibly appreciative of that. Um, a great person to have on staff, the only girl that we've had on staff for a while, and so um, uh, that was good, and now it's not so great, because uh, tell us what's, what's going on next in, in your guys' life. I am ready to be home with our baby. Yes, yeah, and so it's, it's time to, to, to pull out and, and um, hang out at home for a little while. We talked, I think it was last week. And just was able to hang out with you and Marcus for a few minutes and um, just kind of realized, like, it seems like it's time to move on this. And it seems like we've got some stuff in place. And we're going to support you guys uh, continually through that, both financially as a church uh, for a little while. And then also um, just prayer and whatever else you guys need. But um, I just wanted to say thank you um, from me to both of you guys. And Marcus, you've been a great addition to Emma's life, and so we're appreciative of you. You're a great guy. I've enjoyed hanging out with you, and um, so I wanted to say thank you, but I also wanted to give the church an opportunity to say thank you to you for caring for their children and loving them so deeply. Can we give them a hand? Awesome. Awesome. Um, So thank you so much, and in the meantime, we are working on what the Lord has next for us in in that area in totality, but right now Brandon had come on for when you were, uh, Brandon Haverland had come on as the family ministries director, and he has been uh, filling in while you were having a baby, and so he's, he's got it under control right now, and so it seems like a great time to, to, to make, take some steps, but we are hoping to have more uh, gals, more women on our, uh, on our staff, and so hopefully that um, we're able to do that in the near future. So can I pray for you guys? And, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on here. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for Emma 
and just her incredible heart for you, her heart for kids. And we're, we're so grateful um, for how you've used her. It, it has been so amazing. So, Lord, I, I pray that she looks back at her time at Outward Church with fondness. Um, not that she's going anywhere, um, but, Lord, I, I'm on staff. I pray that she looks at that with fondness. And Lord, I just want to pray for your blessing on, on Marcus and Emma both and the baby. And God, that you would continue to use them in whatever way you see fit. And um, Lord, perhaps in the future, even back on staff here. And so Lord, we, we thank you so much for them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Okay. Hey, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, bittersweet, but at the same time, we wanted to... Uh, we wanted to see them um, flourish, and it seemed like at this time this was the best, best move. And so um, uh, moving on here, um, we have a, a video from THX from this last year that I wanted to show you real quick, just kind of keeping the m momentum going from what we've been talking about over the last several weeks, and especially this last week as we talked about like what's next for our church with what God is doing. But I wanted to show you this real quick, and then we'll move on uh, to the sermon here. So let's take a look at this video. Nice. Woo. Yes. That's awesome. Uh, that video was made by Johnny Boss. He's here at... Uh... There we go. We got a fan of Johnny Boss over here. That's awesome. 
Uh, no, we're so, so excited about that. Thanks, Johnny, for making that video for us. Um, we are excited about the next steps that are being uh, taken here. So we're working on getting a, a meeting with the school district, and, and they're excited to meet with us, and so we're doing that soon. If you signed up last week and you said, hey, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an employee of the Salem-Kaiser School District, or I work with them, or something like that, a teacher, whatever, uh, if you gave us your name or email, um, we uh, emailed you this week. So if you didn't get that and you wanted to be on that list, please uh, go out to Connect Central after uh, the service and let us know. The email is about a meeting that we want to have, I believe, on February 14th? Nope. I can't remember the date. Dang it. I even said it. Okay. You'll find out when you go out to Connect Central. Okay. Totally messed that up. But that, that's the plan. We want to talk with people that are working with the school district and uh, because we want to hear your ideas. We want to hear about what, what you think. How, how would it work? Uh, what would work better? What are some innovative ideas that we can uh, bring to the table in order to expand THX and in the process uh, meet more needs, not just through THX, but through the other programs and things that we want to uh, make happen at our, our schools? Ultimately, our long-term goal is to see somebody from Outward or another church in every school in our city that ends up being a representative of the church that is looking for ways that the church in Salem can connect with these schools because schools are one of the greatest doors into the lives of people throughout our city um, through uh, serving uh, young kids, people who are uh, in desperate need of help. And so uh, we have an opportunity to do that. So we've been going through a, a, a short series um, on the uh, core values, which we call the four hills will die on here at Outward Church. And so, like I've said over the last uh, several weeks, like we want to be a church that is gospel-centered with a missional mindset that engages culture while focused on truly making disciples. And so what, the way we put it on our, our website is that uh, this is about everyday discipleship. We want discipleship to be something that is regular in our lives. Like we are uh, disciples ourselves and we are making disciples throughout our city and throughout our church and things of that nature. Um, it's an incredibly important thing that should be taking place in our lives but what often happens is that we end up being people who are, who are not necessarily disciples. We're people who give intellectual assent to a series of things, or at one point you prayed a prayer, or, or, or walked an aisle, or maybe you were even baptized, but really discipleship has never taken root in your life in a way that Jesus is really talking about. And so what we want to be about is we want to be people who are actually making disciples. What are we doing to see people um, uh, grow in their walk with Christ and in everyday life and not just simply checking a box, not just simply checking a box? Let me read what, what we have down on our website and in some of our documents. It says, everyday discipleship. It says this, we are committed to walking alongside one another in grace-filled sacrificial community. In the process of loving, learning, and growing together um, as, as we follow Jesus, we inspire one another toward Christ-likeness in the everyday stuff of life. So our hope is that throughout our lives, discipleship is not just a program that we institute and that we put into place, but discipleship is something that we do that's just a part of us. It is, it's what happens when we're uh, walking here and going there and hanging out with our kids and things of that nature. And so why do we want to do that? Well, it's because of this. It's, 
it's very easy for churches to create programs, to create lists of rules, to create, to, to create all kinds of things, ministries, if you will, that are for discipleship and yet never actually see true disciples created through that. But just, just keep a bunch of people who are good at checking boxes, saying, I did this, I did that. That's, 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 that's true. Now, the disciplines of the spiritual life are very important. There's no doubt about that. What we're not trying to do is just find the people who are good at checking boxes. We want to see people walk from all areas, all types of lives and things like that. And so, but as you look uh, through the scriptures, um, or let me say this, we as a church have, uh, the church in general, have oftentimes not focused enough on discipleship, as I've said here. We've focused on getting people to come to our churches. We've focused on helping people kind of come to a place where they say, I I need the church and I want to go there. And in some ways, we've created entertainment for people. And so we we create entertainment. We want to talk about things that you want to hear about. We want to do things that you want to be a part of. And we want to uh, make sure that this is a movement that people like. However, that really isn't what Jesus is concerned with. Jesus isn't concerned with creating a consumeristic mentality and making sure that you and I feel okay about it. Jesus is concerned about whether you are a disciple or not. Jesus is concerned about it. Think about it this way. I was reading an article uh, just this last week, and the article said that there have been uh, reporters, uh, big-time reporters uh, in the country um, or possibly throughout the world that have paid for Twitter followers. And so what they've paid for is they've paid for somebody to give them a bunch of followers that aren't real followers. They're just simply uh, robots, or they call them bots, or they're, they're fake accounts, or they're mimicking other accounts, or things like that. And so somebody can gain a bunch of followers, like, like perhaps thousands upon thousands of followers. And what ends up taking place is that now this reporter has this new kind of currency, Because the currency today is about followers. How many followers do you have? But what happens is this, is that these are not real followers. They're actually fake followers. But the person who's leading doesn't care. The person who is the main uh, uh, reporter or that person who's going after these fake followers, they don't really care. All they care about is that I want more people who identify with me. The problem is this, is that Jesus is not... Somebody on Twitter looking for fake followers. He's looking for real followers. He's looking for real people who are really connected to him, who are really connected to his life. They're reading from him. They see the way that he lives his life, the way that he's doing whatever, and they see his life and they want to follow him. In fact, Jesus is so concerned about this that he spends a lot of time Talking to people and saying, hey, watch out. Be careful. See, many times we don't love to read those types of stories. We don't love to read the the stories in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about Jesus, uh, Jesus' hard sayings. We don't love to really pay attention to those. What we want to talk about are the things that make us feel good. All too frequently. But Jesus spends a ton of time 
In fact, if you were to, you know, just kind of peruse, just beginning in, in the book of Matthew, Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says this, Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And then he says in the next few verses, he says here, there's going to be a bunch of people who come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And they're, going to, they're, they're thinking that they're in, but in reality, they're not in. In reality, they're not in. And Jesus says, and I will declare to them in verse 23, uh, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And then he goes on from there. He says in verse 26 of Matthew chapter 7, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down and the floods came up. I don't know if you went to church when you were a kid. Rains came down, floods came up, rains came down. Why did we sing this song every week? And do, they, do we know that this is talking about damnation? Like, rains came down, the floods came You're going to go to hell if you're on sand. Uh, rains, and, and it blows the house off of its foundation. You look at Matthew chapter 7. I'm sorry, Jared, who's running PowerPoint. I did not tell you I was going to do any of this, but I'm, I, I feel like I need to. Matthew 7, uh, verse 28, it says, And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, and he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What's, what's sticking out to people who are there, like eyewitnesses that are there listening to Jesus, is they're like, Okay, all of these other uh, so-called teachers are teaching in a way that's like, you know, it might be like this, it might be like that. And Jesus is like, no, this is the way that it is. Jesus is saying, like, there are people who are saying that they are prophets of mine, and yet they're false prophets. And there's people who act like they are believers, and they're not believers. Their house is on sand. And there's people who are even in leadership at churches who are saying that, 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 they, that they're doing all these great things. It looks like they're doing awesome things. And Jesus is going to say, like, I know that you did all of the, these things, but I never knew you. I never knew you. We were never in relationship before. L listen, that's tough stuff, right? That's, that, that stuff is, is, is crazy, but you know what I think Jesus wants? He doesn't want fake followers. It doesn't help Jesus to have a bunch of bots, if you will. It doesn't help Jesus for people to subscribe to a teaching and yet never really follow. You never, never really be a follower. Never be somebody who's really walking with him. See, what we don't talk about is we don't talk about the difficult things that Jesus says. We like to talk about the stuff that makes us feel good. And then if you were to look at Matthew 25, I won't go there, but Matthew 25, there's like the parable of the ten virgins. Like five are in and five are out. And then you've got the, the next parable. It's the parable of the talents. And the guy who has one talent, 
He has one talent. And he, instead of going and investing his talents, he goes and he buries it. And, he, and, and uh, the master comes to him and says, why did you do this? Why did you just bury this talent? He says, well, I knew you were a hard man. And I knew you harvest where you have not planted, meaning he just goes after everything. And he's, I, I knew this about you. And so I just, I didn't want to lose the little bit that you had given me. And the master says, depart from me. And then you've, you've got the sheep and the goats. And of course, the goats are the people who never really serve these people. Never go visit anybody when they're in prison. They never, never helping these people. Like, it, it, it really seems like, like Jesus is really concerned. He's really concerned about me and you. He's concerned on a, on a massive level. And what's he concerned with? In the, in, the, in the talents, he's concerned with, like, you don't know me. You don't know what type of master I am. You, you don't have relationship with me. You're a fake follower. Because you, you attribute these things to me, but that's not who I am. You don't know me because your life doesn't reflect anything about me. Like your followership, like you liked me on Facebook, but you're not learning from me. You're not taking in my ways of life. You're not taking in the thing that, who I am. You don't know me. You're not taking my life on you. You're not learning from me. You're just a, a, a person who just, you just clicked like and it was like, I guess I'll read his post occasionally if it doesn't irritate me. See, that's, that's our deal, guys. Are, are we real followers? There's too much comfort is given to us too frequently that says, oh, you're in, oh, you're in, oh, you're in. And I'm not, I'm not here to doubt your salvation. But I am here to say that there's many of us that grew up, perhaps grew up in Christian homes, or, or, or perhaps who came up later in life. And yet, the gospel has never really dropped in our hearts. It's never really connected with who we are. And so what's, how, how does that happen? Why, why does that happen? If you turn with me to John chapter 6, Jared, we're finally going where I told you we were going to. Um, John chapter 6, verse uh, 51. Let me give away the ending. It says in verse 66, and after this, many of, of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After this, many of, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Well, let's look at it. Verse 51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed uh, among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. We're going to continue on. So when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? We'll come back to that. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those, uh, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by him, uh, granted him by the Father. Verse 66, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, what is going on there? Well, first of all, it's incredibly confusing. It's confusing because Jesus is saying, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I kind of want to go to Jesus and give him some pointers on public communication. Uh, like Jesus, if you want people to follow you, when you talk about eating flesh, like cannibalism, it just doesn't fly well, all right? Like drinking blood, like, do you want me to be a vampire? Like, what's, this is what you want? So what, what's, what's going on there? These people say in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And when it says that, it, it, it's, it's talking about these people <clears throat> who are looking at what Jesus has, has just said, and they say, this is really difficult. This is really difficult, and I don't think it's so much understanding it but it is, it's that this is really difficult. Like, okay, Jesus, I've been following you for a while. Now think about this. These are disciples. There's a lot of them. They're walking along with Jesus. They're hanging out with him. They're watching him do miracles. But then Jesus, like, he just, he drops something. And he just says, listen, if you really want to be my disciples... You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood like there is something that is going to be so heavy demanded of you. And they look at it and they go, I'm out. 
I'm out. And how many of us in this room, if we really paid attention to the words of Jesus, the demands of God on our life, the demands of what he's calling us to, how many of us in this room would say, I'm out? How many of us are are already out? Jesus wants us to be concerned about that. Our church is focused on the idea that we don't just want to be followers who have just kind of said, yes, okay, I like God, he's cool, and all of that. But no, we're saying we've heard the hard sayings of Jesus. We've, we've been with him. We've understood what he's asking of us, and we understand it's going to be difficult And yet I'm still in. And yet what's going to happen here is that there are going to be those of us who hear the real sayings of Jesus. We hear the real words. We hear the real request. And we say, it's too hard. It's too hard. Tim Keller, uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, points out here, he says, it's not that they can't understand it. It's that they can't accept it. They, they don't want to receive it. I can't do that. I won't go that far with you, Jesus. I won't walk there with you. I won't be a part of it. You're saying I can't accept it. What can't they accept? What can't they receive? What don't they understand? Jesus repeatedly, over and over again, as I pointed out earlier, he said, he's not looking for part of you. He's not, he's not just looking for you to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Je- Jesus wants everything from you. He wants all of you. He wants every aspect of you. And so when he says, if, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What is he saying? He's saying, I want your central motivation of your life. The way that you feel fulfilled, the way that, you, that, you, that you're able to find meaning in life, the, way that, the thing that you get up in the morning for, what's driving you day in and day out, that central motivation that's kind of keeping you happy, the central motivation that's, that's driving you in life, that must be me. That must be Jesus. I want your sustenance to be on me. I want you to feed on my life, to eat my flesh, to drink my blood, to drink me in, and to consistently put that in your life and cause it to be the central motivation of your life. Now, the way that we really identify that Jesus isn't our central motivation is we look at what makes us angry or what makes us happy, what makes us, what makes us depressed, and what gives us a, you know, a hitch in our giddy-up and, and causes us to feel like, yes, I'm excited about life right now. Like, what's driving you? Like, what's driving your life? When you feel like, you know, everything's going your way. When you feel like, man, things could not be getting better. Like, what is, what's driving that? What's causing that? Think about it for a minute. 
And like, there are days when I get up in the morning and I'm, I'm just ready to hit the pavement. I'm ready to get rolling. I'm excited about what's taking place. Man, I, I love, normally what that means is that I've got a project in front of me. I've got an idea for it and I'm ready to, I'm, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready, I'm ready to make it happen. I've got the money to do it. I've got the people to do it. I've, something like that. So I'm driven internally by vision. I'm driven by uh, causing things to happen. But guess what? I can be a fake follower of Jesus in my life on a regular basis when my happiness, my joy, is riding on whether I have a vision for my day or for my life or wherever I'm going. Because, and Jesus in those moments um, is not my, uh, the, my sustenance. He's not my central motivation. He's not what causes me to tick. He is a sideline. Oftentimes. So what is it for you? What, what's making you tick? What's making you happy? Is it acquiring a relationship that can be forever? Is it a preoccupation with sex? Is it the desire to have something to finally do in your life that fulfills you in a massive way? Is are, are they desires that, that are just out of, out of your reach? There's so many Christian people who go to church, and yet it's so clear that we are not, that Jesus is not our central motivation because we always give him second best. Our business is my number one priority, and if I just give a, a, just a little bit, my followership, a like, you know, uh, occasionally to Jesus. Like that post, way to go, Jesus, keep it coming. If I, if I just give him a, a little bit here and there, then I'll feel like he's going to give me what I want. Then I'll feel like Jesus is, he's going to bless my business. He's going to cause things to happen. But here's the thing, is that you could end up in this place where you come to the judgment seat of Christ and you, you go up there and you say, you say, Jesus, I really, I, I thought about you occasionally. I was, I was kind of into that church thing. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because there never really was real discipleship. You never really picked up your cross and walked with him. You never really gave, your, gave everything up for him and said, God, Lord God, whatever it takes in my life, I want to walk with you. There never was really anything in there. And it's because you were never really motivated by Jesus in the first place. Jesus became a servant, but he wasn't your king, and he wasn't your Lord, and he wasn't your savior. You're saved by other things. Now, I think that's scary, but I'm not the one that said that. Jesus is. And there's a lot of people that'll walk away from Jesus if they really heard what he had to say. And so what do we do about that? What do we do? How do we see change in our life? 
the measure of a disciple is somebody who's obedient to God. But not just obedience for the sake of obedience. It's obedience from the heart. In fact, what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, you don't need to turn there. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? That's what we're talking about. That's a different motivation. I'm, I'm a slave to my business. I'm a slave to sex. I'm a slave to money. I'm, the, the, there's something else that's motivating me, and I'm serving. I'm worshiping that thing. And Paul says, you are a slave of that. He says, he says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Like the measure of somebody who is a follower of Christ is someone who is consistently, not perfectly, but consistently saying, I know that I have stuff in my life where I am a slave to something. I'm a slave to my pride. I'm a slave to achievement. I'm a slave to education. I'm a slave to whatever. I know that there's things in my life where I'm, I'm consistently out of step with who Jesus is, and I'm consistently wanting to bring myself back into line with Jesus, with the Son of Man. That's, that's where I want to be. And Paul says this. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Just stop right there for a second. Obedience from the heart. See, there's a lot of people that are just good at being good. But it, it is not an obedience from the heart. I'm not here to tell you whether that is you or not. But I can tell you that the moral majority, the, right, the, the right-wing conservatism is oftentimes motivated by, by a pride that says, I have everything together. I have what it takes to make life work, and that's, that's what it is, and I'm a good person, and you're a bad person. But that's not obedience from the heart. That's obedience from pride. That's obedience from being driven by, I get accolades. Life goes better for me. I can become rich by working hard. I can do, do all these things. It's not obedience to God. It's obedience to me. It's obedience to a cultural truth. It's obedience to something else. And it's not Jesus. But obedience from the heart says something else. Obedience from the heart says, like, uh, the truth is, is that I don't want to obey God from the heart. My life and my passions are always at war inside of me. Me. They're always at war inside of me. I'm consistently having to say no to sin and yes to God. I'm consistently having to say no to evil and yes to, to Jesus. I consistently have to say no to things in my life that would perhaps make the church grow and yet totally uh, cause me and my family to be at odds with each other. I consistently have to do that. Not only do I have to say no to bad things, I have to say no to good things My obedience from the heart says this, like my, I, from my heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
I want to be obedient to God. We don't talk about obedience enough. We don't talk about righteousness enough. We don't talk about walking with Jesus in obedience and looking at his life and saying, I want that life. I want that life to be imprinted on my life. You see, what we're busy doing is we're busy following other people. We're busy following what's happening in our world. And, and we're, we're following them. We're watching their life. We're watching how they live. And we say, I want to imprint that, on, imprint that on my life. Obedience from the heart says, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to watch his ways. I'm going to see who he is. And I'm going to see that be implemented in my life. He says, uh, uh, have become uh, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. We've been talking over the last several weeks about what we believe God has called us to as a church. And we could do a lot of good things not from the heart. We could do a lot of good things without the power of God in, in our midst. And, and churches have done that before. But what if God created a movement in this place, in this time, in this city of people who are saying, I am no longer going to be a fake follower. And let's just be honest. All of us, to some degree or another, are fake followers. All of us are. The only thing that we can do when we come to Jesus is to say, I, I, my motives are impure. I, on some level or another, I want people to look at me and say, man, Matt, you're incredible. That my motives are impure. But Jesus, at the end of the day, if you could take that from me, if you could work on my life, if you could cause me to be a different person, if you could do this, then, then I want to see, see that happen. What would happen if, if there was a group of, of people who were not just committed to uh, seeing things happen in our world, but they were committed to being a disciple, and not just being a disciple, but making disciples. Because making a disciple causes me to have to think about someone else and their spiritual walk. It means sacrificing time and effort and saying, you know what, I, I am not going to work too much so that I have time for other people so that I can be a disciple maker. See, you'll never make disciples if you're not a disciple yourself. You'll never walk somebody toward Jesus if you're not walking towards Jesus. If you're not really following Jesus you can't take anybody where you haven't gone. And so are we people who are making disciples? Are we people who are committed to that? Do we really want to make disciples? Are we just looking to make life easy on ourselves? Are we really looking to make disciples? Or do we just want a little bit of God, a little bit of Jesus so that life goes better, 
so that my marriage gets back on track? Are, are we committed to being a disciple ourselves? Because I believe that God can do amazing things with this church in this time and this place, with many of the people that we already have, and we're looking for more of you to join our ranks on a deeper level to be a disciple and to make disciples in our city. We're not looking to make decisions for Jesus. We're not looking for Jesus, for people to just pray a prayer to Jesus. We are looking to bring people to the real presence of Jesus Christ and to see them walk in that for a lifetime. And the measure of whether you actually receive that is the way that you live your life. Sure, there are moments where things do not go well. It does not mean in any way, shape, or form that God has walked away from you. God does not walk away from his own. What it does mean is this, is that generally speaking, on the whole of your life, you're looking to be a disciple of Jesus and to walk with him. And what could that look like in our city today? The reason why we oftentimes do not do that is because the gospel has, has never really penetrated our hearts. I was reading one of uh, Tim Keller's sermons on this very passage, and I thought it was just an, an incredible thing he was saying. He was saying, like, there's... There's a lot of us who have accepted Christ, we use those words, and yet the gospel never dropped in our hearts. It never penetrated to the core of who we are. And we're looking for forgiveness. We're looking for less pain. And to be sure, Jesus does that. But then the gospel just, it just, it doesn't become our central motivation. And so what we have to ask this morning is, is, has the gospel really penetrated my life? Has it really gotten into the core of who I am? And we started the, the series in this way, talking about gospel centrality that the, the centrality of the gospel is that the gospel is, is everything. The, go, the gospel is, it is everything to us, and it is the life of Jesus lived perfectly, not abbreviated as he was a good person or something like that, but it's, it's his works. It's what he did on earth. The good news is that Jesus perfectly lived the life he perfectly lived this life that you and I could not live on our own. The good news is that even though Jesus did not deserve to die, that, that God full-on planned in advance before time began to set his love on you and you and you and you and all those who would receive him he planned to set his love on you. 
And he planned. So when he went to the cross, he wasn't just, you know, dying generally speaking, but he was dying specifically for you. He was dying specifically not just for you. He was dying for his church, for his people, for his family. And, and in that, he takes every bit of our sin, past, present, and future, and what he does is he, is he says, I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to give you all of my righteousness. And so God loving us isn't dependent upon us being good disciples. We already have his love. He's already lavished his love on us. He's already poured it out on the cross. And he, he knows you. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're up against. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what your desires are. And yet he still goes to the cross. He pours out his love and he gives that for you. And the question is, not just did you say at one point that you like Jesus and you want to receive that, but are you saying that with your followership? To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a learner of him. It is to be a follower of him. And we must ask ourselves that question. Are we learners of Jesus? Are we following him? And is that reflecting in our lives? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you, that you, would, that you would work in our lives. Lord, our, our flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit that causes these things. And so, Lord, even the good things that we may do, the, the, the sentiments that you have spoken to us through your word this morning, even the things that we're, we're supposed to be doing, Lord God, it's brought about through your love and through your affection of us. It's brought about because of uh, how incredible you are and through the power of your spirit. Lord, we ask that you would do that in our lives, Lord, that you would uh, cause there to be true disciples in this church, as I know that there are many already, but Lord, would you continue to grow us up in you. It's in your name we pray, amen.